0: So much of modern motherhood is spent wishing we were doing better, whether we're comparing ourselves to other moms or to the ideal mom we assumed we'd be before we had kids. But this wishing takes us further and further away from joy and it stops us from being the mom we want to be. I'm Rebecca Brownright and I'm here to help you focus on connection because connecting more deeply with yourself and with your kids will help you forget about mom comparisons. Connection will help you resolve behavior issues with your kids and connection will help you live a life full of real joy because that's what you and your kids deserve. Pause and connect with me for a moment to listen to discussions about connection and motherhood, finding your purpose, smashing cultural narratives, and so much more. This is Pause and Connect. Hello and welcome back to Pause and Connect. I'm so glad you're here and I really mean that. I really do. Uh, I had someone reach out to me recently and tell me that they were having a really hard time and they found one of my podcast episodes that just really helped them with what they were dealing with and I appreciate knowing that so much because I've been on a, a tough parenting journey. Um, I've shared a lot about it on this on this podcast and I um, and coming to to find this connected way of parenting has been so transformative for me. It has truly transformed myself, my family, my children, everything. Um, not not even just in my family, but the way that I view the world and the way I interact with the world and everything. Um, I, I love this journey I've been on, but I came from a really difficult beginning. I had a really rough start um, to parenting. And so um, I... I know that we're all we're all in this together like this is not an easy thing and so anyway i just i just really appreciate knowing that that my podcast has helped people and um and i appreciate so much that you're here um i please reach out to me anytime. I love to hear what is helping, what is not helping and that sort of thing. So, um, anyway, that was a really long way to say thank you for being here, but thank you for being here. This is episode 34 and it's called four ways to yell less this week. And here's the thing. I really need this episode right now. And so that's one reason why I'm recording it. I've, I've had a hard time with one of my kids this past couple of weeks. It's a, it's the beginning of January. We just had a long, long, um, winter vacation and, um, I need a reset, I need a reminder on how to be a connected parent again because I had some rough times. But that's the beauty of connected parenting and I talk about this a lot here. Because when you mess up, and you will, and when you get off course, and you will get off course, there's always a way back and it's an easy way back. Because connected parenting is never about trying to get your child to do the right thing. It's always about trying to control your own emotions and about connecting with your child. Does that make sense? So in the before times, before I knew about connected parenting, when things were bad with a child, maybe I wasn't getting along with a child, I could definitely identify that things were bad. And I definitely felt terrible about my part in that, in everything, my yelling, my punishing, my own falling apart. But the problem was I never knew what to do or where to go. Like I could see there was a problem, but I didn't know what to do because I always felt like I needed to get my child to behave better. So I would look for tips on how to get your child to behave, but all of the tips were just band-aids because you can't control another human being. So when my child would inevitably act up again, I'd look harder for tips on how to get them to behave about this certain thing and those tips always involved some sort of control, bribe them, punish them, whatever. And it never produced lasting change. I've talked about my stuffed animal showdown with my oldest when she was about four. I've I've talked about that a few times on this podcast. I'll briefly share it here um, because it really illustrates what I'm trying to say right now. So when she was four, she started getting out of bed at nap time, but I I wasn't ready for that. Um, So I attempted to get her to stay in bed by taking away a stuffed animal. That was that was the plan. I held up the stuffed animal, promised that she could have it back if she got into bed. And the problem was this particular child had executive function problems that prevented her from seeing that she could get what she wanted if she changed her behavior. So she just couldn't make that connection. So, you know, I'm standing there holding the stuffed animal and I'm saying, hey, get into bed and you can get your stuffed animal. But she couldn't make that connection to her be- of her behavior to the desired outcome. So she's just seeing me hold this stuffed animal and it's paralyzing her. So instead of getting back into bed and getting her stuffed animal back, she'd scream and cry because she was desperate for the stuffed animal that I was holding above her head and out of her reach. So it didn't work. And because I was focused on getting her to do what I wanted her to do, the only place to go was up, was harder so I had to up the ante. So what I would do is I would take another stuffed animal, I would get like really angry. And I'd make a big show of putting them up high in her closet out of her reach. Because I was hoping to shock her into obeying. And, you know, for some kids, this would have worked. This would have worked for me. Um, But like I said, my child had these executive function problems and she was paralyzed. She could only think about what she was, what was being taken from her. And um, so anyway, when, when it didn't work, when I was trying to shock her into obeying, I, I I would take another one. I would yell, I would scream, I would make my body big and scary and stomp around, you know, and, and just everything I could to try and get her to get into bed. And eventually she would give up. Uh, it took a long time and I would get what I wanted. But like I say, it took forever and it was painful. It was painful for her. It was painful for me. It was awful for our relationship. And it's making me cry right now. Um, you could probably hear it in my voice. So that's why I say that because uh, I get all awkward about this. Um, but yes, this, this makes me cry that we went through this. Um, what was happening was this was about control and it was... It was causing this complete separation between me and my child, there was absolutely no connection. And you can see that in that example, there was nowhere for me to go after after I threatened right I I had, I had crossed a line, but what else could I do? She wasn't changing and I needed her to change because I was in that mindset where she needed to do what I needed to do. And from that mindset, there was no way to feel better. There was no way for me to improve. I just had to be harsh and finally get her to do what I wanted her to do after forever, but then feel mad at myself about it. And there was like no resolution to that. But with connected parenting, when I get off course, and I do get off course, it's a completely different story. So, like I say, I got off course this this past uh, winter break, and I I yelled pr- pretty badly at one of my kids. Um, I I scared myself. I was I was really mad, but once I calmed down and I recentered, I went back to connection, and I had repaired things with this child within the hour. Okay, so this is so different from what I was describing before, right? And, and that's what I'm hoping to illustrate that connected parenting gives us a way to resolve when we don't know what to do, it gives us what to do, because the answer is always connection, there's always that to go back to. And it doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. And it doesn't mean that we're going to use it and fix things right away. But it's always the path back, it always is. So, and the other thing is, not only had after you know this past winter break, after I had yelled and um, and went back and repaired things, the thing is, I didn't feel helpless anymore. I knew I needed to check myself. I knew I needed to resolve some inner issues with myself and take some time to figure out why I had yelled so badly and all of that. But the thing is, I knew exactly how to repair my relationship with my child. And I knew how to not do the same thing the next day and the next day. This is so different from those stuffed animal showdowns where that was the only thing I had. I just, I'll take more stuffed animals. I'll take more stuffed animals until she stops. And it didn't work and it was terrible. And I mean, I guess it did work. She eventually stopped after maybe like 45 minutes or an hour of taking stuffed animals and stomping around and yelling and screaming, you know, like finally she would give in. This little tiny four-year-old would finally give in. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. This is not the way we want to parent, right? Right? This is not the way we want to parent. We don't want to bully our children into behaving. And so anyway, like I say, the, the connected parenting gives you a way to step out of that bullying, to step out of that um, control and, and, and not knowing what to do. It gives you a way It gives you a way to course correct when you make mistakes so that's connected parenting okay we're gonna mess up we're gonna mess up in big ways but it's easy to course correct because the principles of connection are healing and they're easy to use and easy to return to and the other nice thing about connected parenting is that you're not going to have meltdowns every day you're not going to have these stuffed animal showdowns that i am describing You're not going to have to go to that every day, and your child is going to begin to reduce their meltdowns because because there's just less to fight about. Your kids are even going to begin to get along better with each other. Now, I teach this in like a step-by-step, linear, logical way in my course, How to Stop Yelling, and I'll link to that in the show notes. It's really valuable. For now, for today, let's talk about four things that you can do this week to yell less. And I'm, like I say, I'm going to be using these tips right alongside you. So number one is to give yourself a break. I talked about this a little bit already, but let's let's kind of break it down. What do I mean by that? It's so important to realize that you are going to make mistakes. You absolutely cannot be on all the time. You can't be a perfect parent. And you know, that's actually a relief because perfection leads to anxiety. And so give yourself a break and realize you can't be perfect and do your best to let that anxiety go. Now, I know that's not... <laughs> I, I say this all the time. You can't just flip a switch and be like, oh, she said don't have anxiety. I'm not going to have anxiety anymore. Like that's not realistic. But if you can identify this, that you have anxiety about trying to do everything perfect all the time, then it's a little bit easier to let it go. And you can you can forgive yourselves a little bit more. And uh, And I'll talk a little bit more about some things that might help with that. Okay. But remind yourself you can't do parenting perfectly. You just can't. And that's okay because your children can learn from your imperfection as well as they can learn from the times that you do things right. So when you mess up, they learn that nobody's perfect and they get the gift of learning how to not expect perfection of themselves. Isn't that great? So when I yelled at my kid a couple weeks ago, a week ago, and then I went and I apologized and I said, you didn't deserve that, I'm so sorry. What did my child learn? They learned that, that it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to, to go and apologize. And and if they mess up, they can own their mistakes because they're learning that from, from watching their mom who is totally imperfect. Um, they also learn how to repair with others. So they, they get that modeling and they can go and do it with somebody else in their life. And then they even learn that they are valuable and worthy because their big grown-up parents are taking the time to be humble and apologize and repair. So they learn how uh, back-and-forth relationships work. The kind of relationship you want your child to be in when they when they choose a partner is one where their partner apologizes and they apologize to their partner, and they're not walked all over and all of that. And so they learn that that that's what they deserve when their parent messes up and apologizes. Okay so hopefully that's hopefully that helps you feel a little bit better and helps you give yourself a little bit of a break. So it's it's not easy to let go of the need to do things perfectly, but little by little you can remind yourself that your children are learning from your mistakes too. And then learn to be honest with yourself. Learn to not power through when you're overwhelmed, right? Like sometimes we just do that like everything is falling apart but I'm still going to take care of my kids the way that I'm supposed to, and I'm gonna do that. And then we th- we have a meltdown with our kids. And it's it's hard, like modern parenting is really hard and, and we're in these situations a lot of the time. Um, But if we can kind of learn to recognize that this is not a time I should power through. This is a time when I should take a break or let someone else step in. And I know I understand that that is not always possible, but, um, but kind of recognizing that sometimes even just recognizing it like, oh, this is a time when somebody should step in, but there's nobody to step in. But at least I recognize that, whoa, I am in over my head. Sometimes that can be enough to give yourself a break. It really can, um, Of course, not always, of course we need much more, but but sometimes just that acknowledgement can be helpful. So anyway, when you have a meltdown, like I did the other day, take that as a cue that something is not right and you need some help and you need it right away. Like you don't deserve to have to wait three weeks to get help for this meltdown that you're having now, right? Like you deserve to have help. It doesn't mean that something is wrong with you as a person, not at all. It just means that something's wrong in your life and it deserves your attention. So how does this look? Well, after I yelled at my child the other day, I went to my room and I paced and I breathed heavy and I ranted in my head about how frustrated I was about this child. And then I ranted to my husband and he's a safe person to rant to. He's very supportive. Then I breathed again. And at this point I was seeing like, I'm under a lot of stress. I'm tired. I'm outside of my routine. And so when my child did this thing that triggered me, it really threw me over the edge It wasn't my child's fault, and I wasn't a bad person. I was just in a bad place. And those things could be fixed. The the things about being in a bad place could be fixed because I could get some sleep. I could go get myself back on a routine. I could examine the stress in my life and figure out if any of it could be reduced. And if it couldn't, because sometimes it can't, I at least had identified it and I knew what I was dealing with, and so that gave it less power over me. Does that make sense? So after I had gone through this process... I was in a much better place, and I was ready to apologize my child to my child. I was ready to take complete ownership for my actions, and then figure out a way forward. And so, because of this, my child was willing to hear me and work with me. And actually, I had tried to talk to my child before I had done this, and they totally pushed me away. And they deserved to push me away because I was still being a brat. Um, but by this point, I had resolved this stuff in my own in my own self, and so now when I went and I apologized, they were willing to hear me. And the thing is, if they hadn't been willing to hear me, if they still wanted to push me away, I was in a good place now. So I would have been okay because I had made peace with myself about what had happened. So I would have been, okay, yeah, they, they need some time. I'll give them the time that they need. So we would have, we would have been okay. Even, even if my child hadn't been kind enough to accept my apology because I had identified what was going on with me and I had allowed myself to calm down. Now, again, I recognize this is a pretty privileged viewpoint because I had time to step away. I had a spouse who would hear me out and even step in and do some of the talking for me with my child, you know, and kind of do some run interference a little bit. Like I, I had that. Um, I had a way to put routine back into my life. And this isn't always so easy. Uh, sometimes we're living with chronic stress or depression or illness or financial burdens. And I've been in many of those places, and it's hard to access this this skill of calming down. It really is. It's hard to access this skill of looking at yourself and seeing what's going on, and 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 figuring out and identifying what you have control over. Sometimes it feels like there's no control for anything, and so this is this is not always easy. But the mindset that um, that like you're you deserve to go easy on yourself or the mindset that, that you know, like there's a, there's a situation here and that there's nothing wrong with you as a person, that is helpful. It's not always easy to access, but it is available. So one way to practice this is, especially in, in a hard time when you, you feel like you don't have the resources to do this, one way to practice it is to remind yourself that you do well when you can. If you're not doing well, something is getting in the way. And I'm going to say that again. You do well when you can. If you're not doing well, something is getting in the way. Now, this doesn't remove your accountability for your actions, but it does help you see where things are difficult beyond your control. And then that helps you feel less shame. And when you're feeling less shame, you feel more power to make the changes you want to make. And you feel more power to see where you can make changes. Now you're not gonna be perfect at this, but remember we're not going for perfect, hooray. (laughs) We're going for kind to ourselves. That's what we want. We wanna be kind to ourselves. Now this may take time, but it's an important first step in this process of learning to not yell at your kids. Be kind to yourself and go easy on yourself as you learn how to be a parent to the child that you have today. Now, I often remind myself that I've never been a child to a 14-year-old before. That's the age of my oldest child. But I also say the same thing about my seven-year-old. I have been a parent to two seven-year-olds, and now I have a third seven-year-old, but I've never been a parent to this seven-year-old before. So while there's a lot of similarity similarities because of child development and the stages, it's still different with each child and each age and even each day, <laughs> especially with teenagers. You, you might have a child who is totally happy today. And then tomorrow, they're totally sullen. And it's it's different from day to day. So your child that you have today is your child that you have today. And you've never done this because today is the only today there is. So even if you did it yesterday, today is different. And you're learning on your feet. That's what we're all doing as parents. We are learning on our feet. And that's hard to do. And it's draining. So go easy on yourself and give yourself time to feel what you need to feel and recover it. Don't try to power through. Give yourself that time to go easy on yourself. And if you want to hear more about this, listen to episode 14. It's called Seven Ways to Recover After a Parenting Blowup because we're all going to have parenting blowups. I'm going to I'll link to that in the show notes, episode 14. Okay, number 2 is to challenge yourself to not see your child as naughty. So we have these narratives in our society that children who disobey are being bad. Children who disobey need to have the disobedience punished out of them. Children who disobey are brats who are going to grow up to wreak havoc on society. Ah, flip it, flip it. That's not true. Children who disobey are children who are developmentally normal. Children are figuring out their world. Now, of course, they're going to disobey because they're figuring things out. Even us as adults are still figuring it out, things out. And we, we do really crazy things sometimes that hurt people, right? Like we say things and we do things that aren't kind to other people or kind to ourselves or, or good for our mental health. Like we, we're all making mistakes all the time. So of course, children are gonna do that. And of course they're gonna disobey Um, And sometimes they might not even be disobeying. They might be trying to do the right thing, but they don't understand the expectations of them or the rules or society's structure. And they're gonna make mistakes. And sometimes they're tired, sometimes they're hungry. You know, there's, there's so many reasons, but your child isn't naughty. So t- train yourself to, r- to think of that. That's that's number two. Dr. Ross Green, he's the author of The Explosive Child. I talk about him a lot. He teaches that children do well when they can. And this is such a powerful concept because when you realize that children do well when they can, not when they want to, but when they can, you see that your child's naughtiness is actually not naughtiness. Rather, your child is struggling and needs your help. Doesn't that feel so much better? <laughs> it really does. Like when when you're facing this this just colossal problem. And you're and if you think of it as my child is such a brat, my child is so disobedient. My child is so lazy. Whatever it is, oh, that feels so hard. How do you fix lazy? How do you fix disobedience? How do you fix those labels, those things? But when you look at that and you and it's this colossal problem, and you say to yourself, Children do well when they can. My child is not doing well. So there's something getting in the way. Oh. That feels so much different, right? That feels like you have power. So going back to the stuffed animal showdown with my daughter, I saw my child as being willfully disobedient, and when I saw that, I felt an urgency to change it, right? I needed to get it to stop right away because if I didn't, well, I wasn't going to have the afternoon that I needed to have, and then what was going to happen down the road? Plus, I needed her cooperation right then in that moment, and so I was going to do anything to get it, right? So. That mindset, where my child is being naughty, it ooh, it, it just made me tense. It made me like uh, not expansive. It made me just think only in this moment, and I have to control this moment. But if I had known at the time that children do well with when they can, how would that have changed things? I like to do this, uh, you know, like take something that I I did, um, I don't want to say wrong, but uh, a mistake I made, and then put it in a new frame. Like what what would have happened had I known children do well when they can? So let's look at it, okay? Let, so she would have climbed out of bed because that's, that's the problem, right? She's climbing out of bed. And I would have said in my mind that children do well when they can. Instead of saying, oh, she's so disobedient, I have to get her to obey, right? I would have said in my mind, children do well when they can. So that would have opened my mind. And I would have realized that maybe she was getting too old for naps. Maybe naps were boring. Maybe she needed some connected time with me. Maybe she needed something to do that would stimulate her mind. The thing is, at this point, I'll never know what she actually needed. But those would have been good places to start. So if I had done that, if I had reminded myself that children do well when they can, then I probably would have sat down on her bed and pulled her into my lap. I would have examined my need for her to stay in bed. I would have thought this through really quick. I would have thought, okay, is this because I, I have something that I need to do and I need her out of my hair? Or is it because she needs the sleep? Either way would have been a valid reason for me wanting her to take a nap, right? But let's let's look at it. If if it was because I had something to do, and then I could have said I could have like released the need for her to sleep and just thought, well, I just need her to be occupied, right? And so then I and see how expansive this is. Like already, I'm like figuring out. Well, I don't actually need her to sleep. I just need her to to do something. So that opens up my my possibilities. She could do something in the living room. She could do something anywhere. I could put her in front of a screen for a half hour if that's the time that I needed. I, I don't remember what I needed. But so so anyway, it, it does expand the possibilities when I'm looking at her and saying, well, children do well when they can. She's not doing well. What's getting in the way? So so maybe I if, if that was the thing that I needed her to stay in bed because I had stuff to do, then I could have said to her, oh, sweetie, you don't want to nap, do you? Well, I need to get this thing done. So I'm going to have you read 10 books in bed. And then when I'm done with this thing, I'm going to come check on you and see if you're ready for a tea party. See how that that would have worked. Um now, you know, if I needed like 2 hours and then that w- that wasn't going to work. And so then I have a bigger problem and that's probably like a structural problem, right? Now I need to figure out childcare if she's not going to be taking a nap and I need 2 hours every afternoon. Does that make sense? Uh but again, By looking at it from the viewpoint of children do well when they can, my child is not doing well, what's getting in the way? I've expanded these possibilities so much instead of trying to force her to get into bed. So let's say it wasn't because I need to get something done, but it's because she needs sleep and she's so cranky because she's not getting sleep. So what I could have done is I could have said to her, Oh, sweetie, you don't want a nap, do you? Well, your body is still growing and it needs rest. So what I want you to do is snuggle your stuffed animal for 10 minutes. I'm gonna set a timer and I'm gonna come check on you. Now, if you're still awake, that means you've got enough rest and you don't need to stay in bed anymore. So I'll be back in ten minutes. Give your stuffed animal a really good squeeze for me. You see how different that feels? And and she might have still fought that, right? Like that might not have been the thing that would get her to stay in bed and try and get her to fall asleep, but See how I'm not mad. See how I'm coming at it with with um, connection and with fun. Maybe even you know, squeeze your stuffed animal, and I'm making it a warm, cozy thing for her to do. And that comes about because of the question: My child does well when they can. They're not doing well. What do they need? Right. Um, so. I wish I had done that. (laughs) I didn't do that. But uh, when I thought she was naughty and disobedient, it, it caused me to try and control her behavior. But in this hypothetical scenario, when I reminded myself that kids do well when they can, I could see that she needed help to stay in bed. And I could also examine my expectations. Maybe my expectations were too high. Like I said, maybe she was done with naps. Maybe she needed uh, someone to come play with her for two hours every afternoon while I did whatever I needed to do. Whatever it was, I could, I could, with this mindset, I could expand my view of what was going on with my child. The beautiful thing about seeing your child as a child who wants to do well, but can't in the moment is that it gives you more compassion and it puts you into an empathetic mode. Now this doesn't mean you're not gonna get frustrated sometimes. Like I said, like if I'd tried that one where I'll be back in 10 minutes and it didn't work, I might've gotten frustrated, but, but it still put me into a place of compassion and less frustration. And it, it puts you into connected problem solving mode rather than trying to force your child to do the thing mode. Now this reduces yelling. And it's something you can do this very day. So when your child defies you or talks back to you or ignores you, and it's going to happen in the next hour, I promise, unless you're listening to this at like midnight and your kids are asleep. But I promise you, if, it, if your kids are awake in the next hour, that will happen. So say to yourself, kids do well when they can. Then see how your brain puzzles your child's behavior together and begins to find explanations and solutions. Your brain is so cool. And it's it's going to be really cool for you to see this and, and realize like, whoa, there's this whole possibility over here that I hadn't thought of before. Okay. Number three is to hug your child when they're melting down or exploding. Seriously. (laughs) I get a lot of disbelief and pushback on this one and actually really nasty comments sometimes. So I like to always say at the outset that you should never hug your child if they don't want to hug. And especially if you have a child with sensory issues or autism that makes really not appreciate physical touch, absolutely do not force the hug. And, And even if your kid doesn't have sensory issues or autism that, that results in that, um, but they don't want a hug, don't force a hug, right? We should never force physical contact if they don't want it. But after that's been said, don't dismiss this idea of hugging your child during a meltdown, okay? List, keep listening. When your child is melting down, their emotions are way out of control. Like they physically can't calm themselves down. Especially if you're, if, as a parent, if, if you're demanding things of them, you know, like like stop crying or I need you to... to come over here, whatever, like they just can't do it. With time, the so they, their brain is flooded with emotions, okay? And with time, that emotional flooding is going to recede and they can calm down, like that happens to all of us. You've experienced that, you know exactly what that feels like, time helps. But a hug really speeds up the process. And not only that, so it's convenient, right? But it also helps your child learn sef- self-regulation skills and it it benefits your relationship. So it's good all around. This is outlined really well in the book called The Whole Brain Child, and it's backed up by research. They In The Whole Brain Child, they do a really good job of diagramming this and showing you how to do it and using their research and other research to explain it. But, um, but attachment research, uh, it just... It, it shows this again and again and again, that connection during your child's hard times is really helpful for self-regulation down the road for your child and really helpful for your relationship and really helpful for helping your child feel safe and secure and everything that you want them to feel. So connection during those emotional meltdowns helps children calm their emotions. And it also forms these pathways in their brains that helps them learn how to self-soothe. Again, this is backed up by research. So those pathways get stronger each time you connect during a meltdown. And then eventually your child learns how to calm themselves down quite well on their own as they mature. So like I said, it's backed up by research and I, but I've also seen it firsthand with all three of my children. So those stuffed animal showdowns, similar things were happening all the time with that child. She never calmed down. It would take hours sometimes. And when I started hugging her during her meltdowns, the meltdowns shortened in time but she also learned how to self-soothe over time so that she didn't even always need me to calm herself down. And our relationship benefited. And then I've, I think I've said this on the podcast before, I've, I've done this with my, my youngest child since he was uh, about two or three. So it's pretty much all he's ever known. He's so good at calming himself down. Um, sometimes he still needs me. He's seven. So of course he still needs me. But but it's, it's just so different from a uh, from my early parenting with a child who has a similar personality to him. Um, Like I said, it took hours to, to get through meltdowns with my first child and with my third child who has this similar personality, he can calm himself down because I've been doing this for pretty much his whole life. So anyway, um, I, again, it's, it's kind of hard to believe, if, if especially if you have a child who, like my first child, was just explosive. Um, but I was challenged to do this by her play therapist when she was about seven or eight years old. And I, like I say, I really didn't believe it would work, uh, but I agreed to do it. So her play therapist asked me to time how long the meltdown lasted once I started the hug. She was she was very kind to me about it. She's like, well, how long are these meltdowns? I'm like, I don't know, 45 minutes, an hour. She's like, well, what would happen if you hugged her? Uh, that would not work. I can't hug her for 45 minutes or an hour. And she's like, well, I mean, but you're, you're fighting for 45 minutes or an hour. I'm like, okay, okay. Maybe I could sit down for 45 minutes to an hour with her, but that sounds horrible, right? I don't want to do it. But she's like, well, maybe it would be less. Why don't you just try? She was just so gentle and kind with me. And so I agreed to do it. And, um, it really didn't last long. I, the first, the very, that day, my child had a meltdown. I went to her, I hugged her, pulled her in my lap. She cried for a while. It was loud. It was hard, but it was not 45 minutes to an hour. It, w- it was several minutes, but less than 10. It was not, it was not long. Um, it felt long because having someone cry in your lap for that long feels like it's never going to end. And I panicked, you know, like what am I going to do if this doesn't end? But it did stop. Um, And by the end of the week, because I started doing this every time she, she started screaming or every time she started defying or every time she had a meltdown, I would run to her and hug her. And by the end of the week, she actually stopped screaming or melting down as soon as she saw me coming for the hug. Like she wasn't fine. She still needed... Uh, the hug and she still needed, we still needed to problem solve, but if she would see me coming and you could see her shoulders relax and you could see that she was, she was fine and she'd accept my hug and we'd hug for a minute and then we'd be able to solve the problem. Like it worked that quickly. (laughs) And not only that, I calmed down much quicker. I developed more empathy for my child's big feelings and I started to see solutions that had previously been out of reach to me. So, it was really, really powerful. If your child can handle the sensory feelings of a hug, run to them and connect when they're stomping their feet at you or crying or screaming. Sometimes, sometimes it's not going to work. Sometimes they just aren't going to want a hug. But you can still use the same principle. You can still run to them and be near them. You can sit down next to them. You can crouch down below them. You can do lots of things to put yourself physically next to them and show them that you're going to be there with them Sometimes they don't want that and they run away and you can, or they hit or something like that. And you, you can, if they hit you, you can, that's, that's a whole other issue. Uh, Just real quick. If they hit, you know, you can, you can. Stop them from hitting and say, "I can't let you hit me," and set that boundary. And tell them, "Like I'm here for you, and I will be here when you need me." And then set yourself a safe d- distance away from them, um, but still be close. So th- there's there's lots of lots of things that you can do um, if they won't accept the hug. Uh, If they will accept the hug, it's easy, right? If they won't, you're going to have to kind of work on this and figure out how they'll let you be close. Um, But that idea of connecting and being close is really what's the key right here. And be willing to stay with them. So like I said, it took several minutes our first time, but that willingness to stay there was important because kids can tell if if you want to get away. So if you're willing to stay and like, I'm going to stay here for as long as this takes. I love you. I'm here. You don't allow hitting, but if they're running away from you and you're at home, then you, you just sit yourself down and you say, I, that's okay, sweetie. I am here for you when you're ready to come to me. And you don't have to worry about punishing them in this time. You don't have to worry about changing their behavior. You are just trying to soothe the emotions and to get them to get regulated again. So you rush with a hug or a similar connection. You avoid the punishment and you connect instead. You give them that hug. You remember number two from this episode that children do well when they can. So, so that, you, you don't, you're not thinking angry thoughts about them and you're not thinking that you have to change their behavior. You're already remembering, okay, they, they're at a point where they can't do any better than this. So I'm going to be here with them. I'm going to connect with them until they are calm. And then you can figure things out after that. So today, when your toddler is melting down over the wrong color cup, or your teenager is melting down over homework, give them a hug. Don't criticize them, don't give them a consequence, don't tell them their feelings are too much. Give them a hug and they're going to calm down and then they're going to want to cooperate with you once they know that they're validated through that hug and stay with them for as long as they need. Okay, number four is one I'm relying really heavily on right now. This is to schedule specific times for connection with your child in your week. Like make sure that you've got something in your week every week where you're specifically connecting with your child. It's kind of like insurance you're putting in the time now in the good times so that when the bad times come up, that huge meltdown that's coming, you have this good relationship to fall back on. You have this trust, you have all this stuff that you've built together. So, your child doesn't have to fight you so much when you run for that hug because they know that you're reliable because you've you've been putting in this time to the relationship. Does that make sense? Now, this does not have to be huge. You can just say every Tuesday at 7 p.m., we're going to play for 15 minutes. It can really be as simple as that. The thing is, when your child knows they have a specific time to look forward to, it helps them feel important and valued, and it also helps them in the here and now. They know they're on your schedule, so they don't need to fight so hard for your time right now. Now, of course, you still want to give them attention now, but there's this power in knowing that a dedicated time is coming up. Sometimes what we like to do is to name what we're going to do. Um, We might call it special time. It might be called books in bed or walk with mom time. (laughs) It's rarely an original name. (laughs) I just kind of like call it what it is. But there's this extra special power when that anticipated activity is named. Like we might have been planning on reading before bed anyway, but now when it's called books in bed, it feels more like an event. And now my kiddo feels more filled up when we do that. Now I don't know the science behind it or if there even is science behind it, but I've just seen this really boost my children so many times that I believe there's a real power in naming what we're doing together. Sometimes, um, I I also will schedule a time in my mind so that if something comes up, I can move things around without disappointing my child. That's helpful too. Um, That's like maybe for the extra things, but it's also really helpful for your kid to know like I get my parents' undivided attention at this time on this day or every day or whatever you have the time to do. Okay. Um, also, when I'm struggling with a particular child, like I'll look for random moments to connect with them. So, like I might invite them to come along on an errand with me, even if my husband's in home at home and I actually don't need to take any kids. I just might, you know, like, hey, you come with me. Um, or I might go and sit in their room while they're playing or listening to music and just see what happens. And Ten times out of ten, they always invite me into their world. Like maybe they want me to play with them, or maybe they start talking my ear off in this really delightful way. It just always, you just go in their room. They always want you there, um, unless they're mad, of course. That's that's different. That's what we've been talking about all along. All the meltdowns and things like that. That's that's different. But if if it's just like a regular afternoon and they're just just shooting the breeze, like they want you there um sometimes i'm tired and i might get in bed and ask them to come and tell me about their day and this actually works really well for my teenager she seems to be able to stay up later than me (laughs) i guess that's the way it works so sometimes i'll i'll be in bed and i'm drifting off to sleep and or, you know, I'll just, I'll just call her in and just be like, come in here and tell me about your day. And then we talk until I'm drifting off to sleep. And then she goes and takes her shower and gets to bed. <laughs> so it works out well for both of us. And We don't do it every night, but it's just kind of this nice thing that helps us from time to time. You know, like she just gets my undivided attention until I fall asleep. Uh, and fortunately it doesn't hurt her feelings when I fall asleep. This might not work for every kid, but I, I tell her at the outset, like, I want to hear about your day. Let's just talk. And I, I'm, and then when I can feel myself, kind of drifting, I'll be like, Hey, I want to keep hearing you just so you know, I'm, I can feel myself drifting off to sleep and she, she gets it and she's fine. Um, so that's just kind of a funny thing that we do. So basically I I hope what I'm doing here is demonstrating that scheduling times for connection does not have to be stressful. (laughs) Even if you're falling asleep, you can, you can kind of make it happen. Like I'm thinking out loud now here, but, um, like with my seven-year-old, that wouldn't work because he wouldn't put himself to bed afterwards. He he, I don't know what he would do, but I could uh, I could lie in bed and and be like, um, why don't you read me a book and wake me up when you're done? You know, I I could do something like that, and and I still could get to fall asleep or or maybe in in the afternoon if I need to take a break or something, I could lie down and 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 do the same thing and and just wake me up when you're done. You know, so so i I guess what i'm trying to say is like connected time finding connected time does not have to be stressful you can do it in your sleep (laughs) um probably don't do it in your sleep every time but but it's 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 something that i think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to do these big amazing things and it's really the little things that matter uh even in your sleep. So you don't have to go to an amusement park or even out to ice cream to connect with your kids. You know, that's the thing we always say, like, go out to ice cream. And of course, that's fun and do it if you want to. But um, for, there's this day to day life that we're living, right? And we can't go out to ice cream every day. And we can't go to the park every day. And we can't do all these things every day, these outings and these, these big events with our kids, like life is just too busy. So when we're weary and tired, and we know we need connection, but we have zero brain power to figure <laughs> out how to do it. It really just takes being next to our child and engaged in some way. Like you can just sit down next to your child and pick up an action figure and they will just start doing things and then you can just follow their lead. Like you don't have to do elaborate things. You don't have to do the science experiments and and all of that. And again, those things are awesome and we should do fun fun, big things too. We should do the science experiments and and the fun outings and all of that should be a part of our lives, but they don't have to be a part of our day-to-day lives. And we don't have to feel like, oh, I'm not doing an art project every day. So I'm not connecting with my child in the best way. And I'm failing. We don't have to feel that because sometimes letting your teenager talk to you until you fall asleep is enough connection for that teenager. Sometimes those things are the really important things. In fact, all the time, those things are the really important things, just being next to your child and and being engaged with them. And so, um, so that's what I'm hoping to demonstrate here, that it just is simple on the spur of the moment, just being together is enough. And if you want a super easy way to connect and get to know your child on a deeper level, check out my back and forth journal for caregivers and kids. I'll link to it in the show notes. It's an easy way to connect even when you're not in the same room as each other. Um, And then also if you want more ideas, episode nine is called 13 Easiest ways to connect with your kids, has 13 ideas. So I'll link to that in my show notes. Okay, those are my four ways to yell less this week. Pick one or pick all four, but don't stress yourself out. Just use what's gonna help you this week, okay? So to recap, number one is to go easy on yourself. Number two is to remind yourself that children do well when they can. Number three is to hug your child when they're misbehaving or melting down. And number four is to schedule meaningful times for connection. I hope you find this helpful and please know that you're already such a wonderful parent. Thank you so much for pausing and connecting with me today. Your support seriously means the world to me. If you found this episode helpful, I want you to know I have countless other resources for you to find more connection in your motherhood and life. Head to my website, rebeccabrownwright.com to check out my blog, check out my back and forth journal for parents and kids, and take a look at Pause and Connect Academy where you can find courses to help you stop yelling, find your strengths, and finally get your kids to listen to you. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a positive review, sharing it on social media or sharing with your friends. I love you and I want you to thrive in your motherhood and life. Thank you for being here. Now go forth and connect.